Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week we'll tee up week two of what's turned out to be the September of sequels. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. I saw the number one movie at the box office. I'll review The Equalizer 3. Also, I watched a pair of movies this week starring and co-starring Russell Crowe, and it turns out in both, he was easily the best part. Let's start with that number one movie. Denzel Washington is out for blood, a lot of blood, in The Equalizer 3. Who are you? The last thing you'll see, the last thing you'll hear. You started a war you might not be able to finish. Lord knows. I'm allergic to bad things. Equalizer 3, only in theaters Thursday. Rated R. The Equalizer 3 is the third in the series, obviously. It began in 2014. That first movie made close to $200 million. It's at 60% on Rotten Tomatoes. The second movie followed in 2018, made almost exactly the same amount of money and is at 52% on Rotten Tomatoes, so they've been consistent, if nothing else. And this new one made $70 million in its first week. Not bad at all. It's at 73% on Rotten Tomatoes, so the critics like it a little more. The series based on a TV show from the 80s, but obviously updated for modern times. They're all directed by Antoine Fuqua, whom Denzel has worked with before. They made Training Day together, which earned Denzel an Oscar. They're about this guy, Robert McCall, played by Washington, who used to be a secret agent man, and he's a highly skilled at killing people. He retired ages ago and now tries to live a quiet, simple life, but he moonlights as a vigilante, doing doling out extreme justice for those who can't get it for themselves. He also has OCD, although that doesn't really add up to much as far as the story goes. It makes for a uh Little, adds a little tension to destroy before some of the action scenes. The movies are violent, but I must say, while the first two had a little bit of graphic violence, they're mostly pretty tame, nothing like the John Wick movies or something like that. But this third one is pretty grisly through a lot of it. It opens with what is clearly the end of an adventure that McCall had gone on between movies. We just see this trail of dead bodies in a home in Italy, including one guy lying on the floor with a meat cleaver stuck in his face, not at the top of his head, right in his face, and the camera lingers on it for quite a while. It was actually kind of upsetting. I was not expecting that. I heard some murmurs in the theater. A lot of people weren't really expecting that either, but, you know, it put us on notice for what was to come. They really dialed up the gore this time, almost a horror movie level levels in some spots. So we see the end of this mission in Italy. We don't really know what happened. And it turns out that even McCall isn't entirely sure what these particular bad guys were up to. He does get the thing he was there for, and then he tips off the CIA that something bigger was probably going on, and they should come check it out. Unfortunately, McCall does sustain an injury in the opening minutes, and as he tries to get out of Italy and head back home to Boston, where the first two movies are set, he passes out. He wakes up in the home of a doctor in a small coastal Italian town. Now, the one thing I like that the movie does here is... It forces McCall to reckon with his age. I guess, you know, he's obviously as old as Denzel, which is 68 years old. And so it takes some time for him to recover where uh, the injury he sustains 
if it happened to, you know, Schwarzenegger or Stallone in the 80s, those guys wouldn't even have flinched. It wouldn't have done anything to them. But McCall gets to, you know, spend weeks in this town and know the town and its people. And we do too. And uh, he really takes a shine to them and the town. So you can imagine his dismay when he learns that a local mafia outfit is terrorizing this town. He spends some time, you know, getting the lay of the land. And then when he's, when he's recovered enough to start killing people, he does start killing people and it gets pretty bloody. And it sort of goes how you would expect if you've seen the other two movies this one is much the same but in a much more scenic locale uh, and then there's that side plot with the CIA whom he'd previously tipped off about that first gang of thugs and maybe it's all connected Dakota Fanning is the main CIA agent in the movie and like once upon a time in a uh, Hollywood, the movie she's in, it's still kind of weird seeing her as a grown-up because she did a lot as a child actor, and that's kind of what you used to seeing Dakota Fanning as. But she's pretty good, although she doesn't get a ton of interesting things to do. David Denman plays one of her colleagues. You will know him as Roy from The Office. Uh, I saw him pop up, and it's like, ah, oh, it's Roy, and then just bloodshed, and it's like, ooh, that's not in The Office. Um, there are a couple of familiar Italian faces in the movie as well, but no other big-name Hollywood stars. I gotta say, the location was half the fun of this movie. Uh, I think I need to get to Italy at some point, because every movie I ever see that's set there, especially outside the major cities, looks just amazing. McCall spends a lot of his time uh, sitting outside a little cafe, drinking his tea, and it just looks so relaxing, of course, until the thugs come in. Uh, um, some people are saying, do you have to see the other movies before you go see this one? I would say not really. There are a few callbacks to things in the other movies, but I think you'd be able to follow it easily enough regardless. There's one reveal late in the game that uh, just won't mean anything to you if you haven't seen the first two movies, but the movie would, the third one would work just as well if they had not included it, so don't let that keep you from watching. Uh, I think they're all worth watching, though, and as much as I advocate for theater going, if you wait to watch this one at home, you're not really missing anything spectacular visually that requires a big screen. Uh, the big draw, I think, is the fact that Denzel Washington is just one of the best actors of his generation, and those guys aren't getting any younger. I think we need to enjoy some of our um, getting older movie stars while we can. That's why I hate, you know, when I see Tom Hanks making movies for streaming. And even though a movie like A Man Called Otto won't be in his top 20, uh, when we're looking back at Tom Hanks' career, I was thrilled to go see that in theaters uh, this past winter. Tom Cruise, of course, is a little younger than those guys and also still making top-level movies that do require trips to the theater to enjoy. We're probably less than 10 years away from, you know, like Vin Diesel becoming the elder statesman of Hollywood. And as much as I love the Fast and the Furious movies, that's kind of a terrifying thought. Uh, so I'd say I, I suggest get out and enjoy a Denzel movie in theaters while you can. Uh, the Equalizer 3, so I'll give it three Coach Cushions out of five. I can't remember. Did you review The Equalizer 2? I know you did the no, first one. I did the first one, and then I watched uh, the second one on Sunday and went to the theater on Monday to see the third one. What so. did you think about the second one? Um, I've forgotten most of it already, okay. but I, I liked it. They're Like I said, they're pretty consistent. They're all kind of kind of the same, but okay. yeah, they're, they're a good watch. Yeah, the third one sounds like it might be the best of the three, but I'll eventually get <laughs> to it. I feel, like I, I feel like I probably will not make it to the theater, mm -hmm. even though he just impassioned, he had an impassioned plea to go <laughs> see the movie at the well, theater. They don't make movie stars like they used to anymore, so we got to kind of enjoy the classic guys while we can. They, do, they really don't. His son's doing all right, though. I think he's coming up pretty well. Yeah, well, he does a good one, and then he does Tenet, and then he does a good one, and then he does some terrible Netflix movie that I saw that I can't even remember what it was called. So, yeah, I, but I think there's... Many more years of that guy to come, John David Washington. And he's actually got a movie coming out later this month. I think uh, it's called The Creator. Yes, it's that's a sci-fi thing. Yeah, it's a 
weird sci-fi there. They're fighting an advanced AI or whatever, so that looks cool. But in this month, the Equalizer 3 opens the month. This weekend, and we're going to tee these movies up for you in a moment here, My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3 and The Nun Chapter 2, so two more sequels, and then on September 15th, A Haunting in Venice, which I don't know if you can call that a sequel. It's another adaptation of Agatha Christie's books of Hercule Poirot, but still, that's the third movie in that series. The Expendables 4, or The Expendables, the tagline for that, by the way, is they'll die when they're, they're dead. dead. Yeah. Give me a break. <laughs> um, and then on September 29th, we have Paw Patrol, the mighty movie and Saw X. And that was uh, the, the, the Saw or September's version of uh, Barbenheimer with Saw Patrol, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's a busy, busy month for sequels. I, I didn't really look at the other months. Somebody just asked me, what's the deal with all the sequels in September? And when I finally looked at the list, and like, wow, yeah, that's, a, that's quite a bit of sequels. But up next, let's tell you about two of them, the two that are open this weekend. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And as the September of sequels continue, there are two more big ones opening this weekend. Last week, we got the Equalizer 3. This week, it's the third entry in another series, which will almost certainly have a lot less bloodshed than the Equalizer. It's My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3. One wedding started a global phenomenon. Greek voodoo. Bam! Now, your favorite big Greek family is back for more. Let's do it! On September 8th. You got us back to Greece. You're the head of the family now. This is going to be fun. You're invited. Where are your eating pants? I bake the goat. To the feel-great movie of the year. It's the one we have for dinner. Uh, I'm a vegetarian. No. My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3. Rated PG-13. Only in theaters September 8th. Winnipeg's Nia Vardalos and company are back for another adventure, literally in Greece this time. The first movie came out in 2002 and was a monster hit, and that cannot be overstated. It was an indie comedy with a $5 million budget that went on to make $368 million worldwide. Now, it had some major league producers who championed the movie, namely good friends of Vardalos and Rita Wilson and Tom Hanks. Vardalos was the writer and the star. She was nominated for an Oscar for the screenplay, and the story was loosely based on her life, focusing on her family and how they butted into her courtship with, in the movie, John Corbett. The next year, there was a TV show that came and went very quickly. There was a second movie years later in 2016 that had an $18 million budget and brought in $90 million at the box office. Not bad for a sequel nearly 15 years later. The critics, however, were not kind to that one. And then in 2018, Vardala started talking about a third movie. The pandemic delayed things for a while, but now here we are. This third movie sees the family head to Greece to see more family. The newlyweds of the original now, of course, have kids of their own. Her father has passed on, so the family dynamics are a little altered. And then, of course, hijinks will ensue. Right now, as we're recording, it's Thursday afternoon. There have been no reviews listed on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, which is not usually a good sign a day before a film is released. I will say, though, a friend of mine saw it at a preview screening last night, and she said it was pretty good. She graded it a solid three couch cushions out of five. So if you really liked the first movie and were wondering about this one, it sounds like a good trip to the theater and it's only 91 minutes long or something like that, so it won't take up too much of your time. My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3 in theaters this weekend. All right, so that's one of the sequels out this weekend. The other one is probably not up your alley, Jeff. Nope. 
a series of visions when I was younger. And after each one ended, the same thought would be stuck in my head. What did you see? I saw a nun. Not just a nun, the nun. Originally featured in The Conjuring 2 in 2016, the nightmare fuel, the nightmare fuel, that is, the nun got its own movie in The Conjuring universe in 2018. It's worth pointing out that the star of The Conjuring movies is Vera Farmiga, and in The Nun, the protagonist is played by her little sister, Thaisa Farmiga, who has appeared in a few of the American Horror Story seasons as well. And while the first two Conjuring movies were excellent, uh, if you like scary movies, the Conjuring movies really are among the best I've personally ever seen. I just found The Nun to be okay, kind of weird in its tone because it was often rather silly whereas the conjuring 2 was deadly serious and especially when you consider that this character the nun is visually terrifying so to make it then silly I, I don't get that still kind of fun i guess as a movie overall because it had this sort of almost like an adventure mystery to it and it did very well at the box office bringing in 365 million worldwide making it the biggest movie in the conjuring universe but it did poorly with critics at 24 percent even the audience ranked it lowly at 35 percent so now we've got the sequel the demon it came back there's just a pattern killings across europe one by one priests nuns they were found dead i know why it's here i saw what it wants what we're going after. It's unlike anything you've ever seen. The Nun, Chapter 2, rated R, September 8th. Evil demon going, evil demon nun, I guess. I don't know. I mean, look, it's, a, it's a, about a demon nun. It looks scary. And they are just adding reviews, actually. As Jeff mentioned, it's Thursday we're recording. They have just added some reviews. So it is now at... Uh, 60, hang on a second here, just clicking on the page, 60%, 30 reviews are in. The original was at 24%, so I don't know. The the 60% is better than that, I guess. So uh, if you like scary movies, I, I don't think it matters what the critics say. You're going to go see them regardless. I think I might wait for this one, though, because I was really disappointed with that first nun. I've seen one scene from the first nun. People are saying, oh, you got to see this scene. It's so crazy. And I can't really remember. It was, was there a part where there's like a shadow on the wall and then it turns into a real thing or something? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I watched. And uh, you had nightmares for like a week. So really? I was like, yeah. <laughs> so I already hate the nun and the nun too. And uh, based on about the 45 seconds of it that I've seen. All right. So those are the two <laughs> new movies out this weekend. And I just, we got two minutes here. I just wanted to quickly touch on this uh ahsoka episode four by the way on disney plus was excellent but one of the things that has been making me laugh has to do with the lightsaber because in episode two i think it was so one or two whatever one of the first two episodes the character named sabine wren gets stabbed with a lightsaber and a lot of the the the, the pocket of the star wars fans who complain about everything, are complaining about the fact that she survived oh. the, the lightsaber stabbing. Right. And 
somebody actually did a video on it just for fun. Like, you know, one of the criticisms about this show is <laughs> is that this is happening. So let's just look at what would actually happen if you got stabbed by a lightsaber. And he pointed out that the lightsaber burns three times as hot as the sun, as our sun. So if you were, if that were to enter your body, it would immediately superheat your blood and you would explode. You would be just incinerated. If it's that hot, how can you even hold the handle? Exactly. <laughs> and that's why it's so funny that they're getting mad oh about my. the science. Because if it's that hot, it would melt your face when it's right beside you. It would melt everything in the room. Not to mention that the laws of physics have never applied in Star Wars. No. They go to every single planet and they never worry about whether or not they can breathe. The only place they checked was on Mandalore, and he was testing it to see if it was poison. Right. And uh, time works the same on every planet in the galaxy, as does gravity. Yep. So, I mean, uh, to niggle over a, uh, <laughs> a lightsaber stabbing <laughs> is pretty weird. I know. It's just a space fantasy. It doesn't. Who cares about the science part of it? It's just fun. <laughs> it's fun. It's a magical sword that shoots light. Who cares? But up next, got to tell you about... Two movies I rewatched and one that I watched anew, and there was a bit of commonality between a couple of them. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. So last week we talked about the third and final season of the Netflix series Ragnarok, which is a Norwegian show. It's kind of like Norse mythology meets Dawson's Creek. It was about a young man who realizes that he's the reincarnation of Thor, and he has to fight the giants, etc., etc. By the way, Jeff, did you finish watching the season, or did you uh, nope. give up on it? Uh, no, I didn't give up on it, but I still got two more to go. Okay. So I was kind of disappointed with it overall, but I enjoyed it. thought it was good, not great, but it made me... I, I suddenly craved... Like seeing more Thor. So I rewatched the first two Thor movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Loved them again. And this week I decided to revisit the more re recent ones. And I can't think of, believe I, when I think about the fact that Thor Ragnarok is from 2017 already. We're the same, you and I. Just a couple of hot headed fools. But Hulk like raging fire. Thor like smoldering fire. <laughs> Yes, Thor Ragnarok was the movie that kind of changed what we knew about Thor, and it, it added a new element, really, to the whole of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because it was really, it wasn't just big superhero action, it was amusing, but it was still a pretty cool story with fantastic visuals across the board. Thor, I sense a great change in your future. Destiny has dire plans for you, my friend. I have dire plans for Destiny. And it also had Jeff Goldblum. Carlo? I pardon you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You're officially pardoned from life. No! I'm stepping in it. Look. Uh, wow. Oh, the, the smell. What does it smell like? Bent toast. Jeff Goldblum <laughs> plays the Grandmaster on this weird planet that Thor and Loki end up getting banished to, and he is so good. 
just watching that scene, I sort of had this instant declaration that Jeff Goldblum is now my favorite character, supporting character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, period. That is a good, that's a good answer. I would go with that as well. It's just his performance is so fantastic. He has so much fun. And the movie was fun. I had a really good time and I felt it was, there were a couple of things that they, I still hate the way that they just killed the Warriors 3. Like it's yeah. just like dead. And uh, But it also showed, I think, how powerful the villain was. Kate Blanchett as Thor's and Loki's sister, Hela, who comes back from her imprisonment is is crazy difficult to beat she was really good too um yeah but just when they kill off his friends though like they were instrumental in the especially in the first movie so it was just weird to see them just cast aside in the third i know but uh yeah i had a great i had a really good time i I was concerned that after rewatching the first two thor movies and enjoying them so much would i enjoy Ragnarok less because of its sillier tone. But I think they actually struck like the perfect balance of funny and still serious. And they delivered a really, I thought I, I, I don't know if they could do it, but if they could figure out a way to get Kate Blanchett back as Hela, they should, because she was amazing. I'm not a queen or a monster. I'm the goddess of death. What were you the god of again? Oh yeah, I forgot that was a Japanese trailer that I pulled that audio <laughs> from. So Thor Ragnarok was cool, and then that led me to watch Thor Love and Thunder again, which I was wondering if I would ever watch again, because when I watched it, when it was made available on Disney+, Plus, I didn't really care for it, but this time around... Change of heart. There's a maniac who seeks to end us all. We must do something. I'm putting together the greatest team ever. Cole. He's my best friend. Yes. Valkyrie. We get to fight again. <laughs> the Guardians. Give me those. And Jane, the old ex-girlfriend. Judy Foster. Jane Foster. So as you can surmise, uh, that whole that doesn't last long because there's a big bad guy. The only ones who gods care about is themselves. So this is my vow. Oh, God, will die. Yeah, more than the bad guy in a second. But uh, yes, the ex-Jane Foster, played by Natalie Portman, returns as Jane and as the mighty Thor. She's got Thor's old hammer Mjolnir and has been deemed worthy to wield it. Will Jane and Thor rekindle their old flame? As for the bad guy, Gore the God Butcher, played by Christian Bale. He's scary, and he just looks scary. He actually looks similar to the nun, oh, now really? that I think about it. <laughs> yeah, with some of the way that they 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 have him kind of hiding in the shadows and his, his beady eyes poking out. Okay. Yeah. And, and the, the, is the nun's skin all, like, bleached white? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there you go. I never even thought about that. Okay, so I still think this is my least favorite of the four Thor movies. I think it's the goofiest. It's too goofy, in my opinion. But some of the things that were not as goofy 
actually enjoyed more this time out. I enjoyed uh, Hemsworth's performance a bit more, and I thought the ending, I forgot about it completely, and it, I just found it really touching. So have you seen it yet? I saw it in theaters, and I can't remember hardly anything from it. I do remember thinking it was maybe a little too goofy, and also some of the CGI wasn't as good as other movies, which has been a kind of a common problem the last couple of years with a lot of superhero movies across all sorts of different things. But uh, yeah, it was. you're right. I think it is probably the least of the four, even though I think it's got maybe the best title, Love and Thunder. I enjoy that quite a bit. I also like the Guns N' Roses soundtrack. Yeah. And in Ragnarok and Love and Thunder, there's one um, performance that I really like. I, I, I know I agree with you that Jeff Goldblum's by far the best, but uh, in a much even smaller scale than that, the Matt Damon cameos in these movies oh. crack <laughs> me up to no end. And it's uh, Matt Damon... Maybe the best at cameos ever because uh, have you ever seen Euro Trip? No. Oh, he he plays this. Uh, he shows up near the beginning as a singer in a band or whatever, and he sings a call, song called "Scotty Doesn't Know," and it's about how uh, he you know had uh, carnal relations with Scotty's girlfriend or whatever, and then Scotty's just standing in the audience. He's the main character in the movie, and Matt Damon's singing a song about how he uh, slept with his girlfriend and something. And then, of course, in uh, you know in Interstellar, he shows up there for one scene or a couple of scenes there in the middle where it's just like, whoa, whoa what is going on with this guy? So I think Matt Damon uh, likes just dropping in for five minutes and then being on his merry way. But I really, and I think his best cameo was actually in Love and Thunder. He gets, he plays uh, an aspiring actor um, on Asgard and he gets all excited about the possibilities for a new production or whatever when the plot starts happening in the Thor movie. Yeah, no, it was, when, when they turned up in both Ragnarok and Love and Thunder, I thought that was great because <laughs> it was Matt Damon, Sam Neill as uh, Odin, and Luke Hemsworth plays Thor. Oh, there you go. One of the other Hemsworth brothers, the That's one who funny. was in... Westworld. So those movies are cool. And one of the things I also really enjoyed about Love and Thunder, and especially upon the second viewing, at first I thought it was silly. I changed my mind. I really enjoyed the performance. Now I put your clothes back on. Flick, flick. This is the Golden Temple of the God. It's not a Rude Nudi festival. If you're not going to help us, then at least let us use your weapon. We need your lightning bolt. My lightning bolt is called Thunderbolt. So I think, to use somebody's secret weapon like this, that you should at least get the name right when you ask. Can I borrow Thunderbolt? Russell Crowe, as a kind of silly version of Zeus, the, the Greek god of thunder, and um, I really enjoyed his performance. Yeah. And um, in the, he's in the trailer, right? But I don't think we hear him talk or something. I remember when the, watching the movie, I was like I was shocked at how silly and goofy he was because I've you know you've seen him do kind of comic parts before, like in the movie The Nice Guys, but never something just really silly like this. And it's like he it was like, "Whoa, wait, what?" Because you think of Russell Crowe as a serious actor, so it was a a wild turn from him. And yeah, I really enjoyed that too. Yeah, no, it, it was it was a I, I enjoyed the interpretation, and it's my understanding I'm certainly not an expert on the Greek accent, but it sounds like he really worked hard on took that seriously. And I mentioned earlier that I watched two movies that involved Russell Crowe where he was kind of the best part. So up next, I'll tell you about another movie that recently came out for home viewing. And Jeff's got a rewatch of one of the Hall of Fame television series. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Just finished talking about the Thor recent movies, Ragnarok and Love and Thunder, and how Russell Crowe 
was a really great part in Love and Thunder as he had a small role, but he played Zeus, the king of the gods, and he was terrific and a lot of fun, and he really nailed the accent. So on the subject of Russell Crowe, having fun in a role and nailing accents, I just also happened to watch a movie that came out earlier this year in April starring Russell Crowe. It is The Pope's Exorcist. We have more questions for you, Father Mort. You have a problem with me. You talk to my boss. The Pope. So they describe the movie as being inspired by the actual files of Father Gabriele Amort, chief exorcist of the Vatican. He's called in to investigate the possession of a boy and ends up uncovering something he did not expect. Bring me the priest. My Pope. There's a case that needs your attention. The church has put this demon before. The Vatican covered it up. Why? You've been playing and you talk to fate. You're digging too deep. Who will defend you? My faith does not require defense. The Pope's Exorcist, rated R, in theaters April 14th. A centuries-old conspiracy hidden by the Vatican. This movie did not get the best reviews, 48%, but the audience score has done pretty well at 81%. So I'd say it's good, not great, but Russell Crowe is excellent. He is much better, I think, than this movie deserves. And not to say that I think that it's not a bad movie. It's it's cool, and I, I like the, the story, um, but it wasn't nearly as good as it could be. Uh, and we've got another Exorcist movie. I think that's part of the problem is anytime there's a movie that with the word Exorcist in the title, there's just an uh, expectation that it's going to be awesome. I'll give it three couch cushions out of five and then wait for The Exorcist Believer in October, <laughs> on October 13th. I will not be watching it. I was scared by the trailers for both of these movies this year, so uh, I'm out on The Exorcist. Um, but I did watch something else this week, and as writers and actors strikes wear on, we we're probably about to run into some dead air on the schedule for TV, certainly, so you may have the opportunity to finally catch up on some shows you've always wanted to see or rewatch an old fave, and I fell into a rewatch this week I was not expecting. A classic I surprisingly did not rewatch during the pandemic when it seemed like I rewatched every sitcom that I'd ever enjoyed, and I'm talking about Friends. 30 seconds on the clock, five correct questions wins the game. The lightning round begins now. What is Joey's favorite food? Sandwiches. Correct. Chandler was how old when he first touched a girl's breast? 14? No, 19. Thanks, man. <laughs> Joey had an imaginary childhood friend. His name was... Maurice. Correct. His profession was... Oh, space Cowboy. Correct. <laughs> what is Chandler Bing's job? <laughs> oh, gosh. This has something to do with numbers and processing. And he carries a briefcase. Ten <laughs> seconds. You need this or you lose the game. <gasps> it's, um, it has something to do with trans... Cox unleashing her scream scream there. Uh, for some reason, I just never found myself in the mood to rewatch Friends during the pandemic, but on the long weekend, I thought I'd watch a couple of episodes, and I scrolled through until I came across the one where Ben Stiller plays Rachel's date. Man has a terrible temper, but only Ross knows. Whoa! Oh, sorry, Tommy. What's in the cup, Ross? Um, what is in the cup? Okay, it's coffee. Ice coffee? Tell me it's ice coffee. 
It's hot. Hot coffee! You idiot! You gonna spill hot coffee all over me, huh? What are you, just a big, dumb, stupid, doofy idiot with a doofy idiot hairdo? Huh? Huh? That was season three, episode 22. That was less than a week ago. Now I'm halfway through season five. I've temporarily abandoned my 30-walk rewatch, which uh, kind of stalled out in season two. I'll get back to that at some point. At least that's a plan. Uh, there's just something about Friends, and I'd say It and The Office are maybe the two easiest rewatch shows in terms of just letting one episode flow into the next, burning them off in rapid succession. I was trying to figure out why. I think it's just that they have a warmth to them that a lot of shows do not. I mean, Seinfeld, 30-rock, Curb Your Enthusiasm, these are amazing shows, but they are not warm, cozy watches. They're kind of cold and distant on the emotion front. I mean, in the case of 30 Rock, everyone is so silly that you don't take them seriously as human beings. They're more like uh, humanoid cartoons. It's hard to get emotionally invested. Uh, Friends in the Office, on the other hand, veer into some light drama from time to time. Everything is more grounded in reality. And they're just fun hangout shows and a little looser. Seinfeld was very plotty. 30 Rock, of course, more interested in seeing how many bonkers jokes it could cram into every single moment of the show. All great shows but some are just easier to let play for hours on end that don't kind of exhaust you the other factor of course is the nostalgia friends came out in 94 that's when i moved away from home and went to college so it was kind of an important show sort of felt like it was reflecting my life to some degree at the time so with fall coming and the sun going down earlier and it cooling off it's nice to have an old fave to get cozy with on those nights i might go back to the beginning and start with season one since i'm clearly probably going to go hard all the way through this series uh, i also wonder if i can break my pandemic record i watched 11 seasons of Cheers in nine weeks, which was an average of four and a half episodes per day over those nine weeks. So that's uh, that's what I'm doing right now. It's just a lot of friends watching. And what is friends? Is that Crave? Oh, yeah. that's on, It's out on Crave for sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah I started rewatching Friends. I can't remember how long ago it was that we, that we talked about it. If it was pandemic related or if, I, if something came up as a rerun and I thought I should watch that again. Uh, maybe it was just when Crave got friends, or I don't remember what yeah. happened, but I made it like four episodes. That was it. And then I moved on to probably rewatching The Matrix again. Wasn't doing it for you. I don't know. Just wasn't, yeah, I wasn't <laughs> feeling it. Oh, I would like to try that again, though. So thanks for the reminder on that to enjoy some friends. And that's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Don't bother.